Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Paul Miller, the owner of the Union Kitchen, coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined this week by my co-host, local bartender and beverage consultant, Linda Salinas. Linda, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm awesome. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Eric. It's great to have you here. Let us just dive right into the news of the week. Lot to discuss, lot going on in the world of Houston restaurants uh, during what is traditionally a slow time. But perhaps nothing bigger than the news that State Fair, the Texas comfort food restaurant in the Gateway Memorial City Complex, has been sold. It is no longer part of Cherry Pie Hospitality. It is part of the company that owns Star Cinema Grill. There's been a lot of drama around Cherry Pie Hospitality since March when Lielis left and then Jim Mills, the chef who had been there, who had been one of their partners left the company. I'm, their CEO has left. They're being they were locked out by one landlord. They are being sued by a landlord that they were supposed to have on 19th Street and then won't for an ice cream shop that's never going to open. Um so is it really a is surprise this, that State Fair has been sold? Well, that that's usually my role. Is this I mean, is this is cherry pie done? I mean, is that is that functionally what's happening here? I mean, it's been a it's been a, a crumbling, you know, a com- crumbling box of donuts for a, <laughs> for a while, like old, moldy, like you know, all the great all the great pieces and parts of of those programs um, are. I mean, little by little, the only thing I mean, I think the only one that's still like thriving, not thriving, but one of the best parts of that those programs is was uh is Lori. Lori that does uh Right, Lori Harvey. Tr- right. Lori Harvey is a beverage director. Her husband is a total badass. Uh was working with them and he's no longer there. Right, he's with Landry's. He's I saw with, him at Vic and Anthony's yeah, recently. Yeah, he's at Vic and Anthony's. Uh I think he's the AGM or something like that. I'm not really sure it's irrelevant. Um but I mean Anthony Calio is gone. Pie Pizza Pie Pizza was his. I don't know what that is all about. Um, Lee Ellis is out of the out of the picture. I mean, it was it was it's a long time coming. Um, I mean Right. I mean, I will say this pains me personally, right? Lee Ellis and Jim Mills were the first two guests on this show, and I really admired what they had built with State Fair and with Starfish and with helping Anthony turn Pie Pizza into a restaurant from a food truck. But it definitely does seem like it's all falling apart. A um, lot of rumors swirling around about the other restaurants. This is this is one of those times when taping a couple of days before the podcast goes live, I think is going to hurt us because I think there's going to be news that breaks between in the next couple of days about the future of Starfish, Pie Pizza, Lee's Fried Chicken and Donuts, and Petite Sweets. Uh, but that'll be next week's show, I guess. I mean, it just goes to say that you might have all the pieces and parts, but just because you don't have... The, I mean, sometimes just having the parts and pieces, you need the right mm. freaking glue, and that comes from the very, very top, you know? Um, I mean, that's that's just my two cents, you know? Right. Um, but anyways. And then... You know, the the one thing that I always think about are the employees of these various restaurants. It's gotta be it's gotta be a difficult place to work. But but the good news is there's so many places opening so fast that if you're even halfway qualified, you're probably finding a new gig pretty fast. Yeah, I mean I, I think that, you know, uh what Starfish and Pie is still open. Yes. They're both still open. Um I don't know I haven't looked at their numbers in a while, but those are great programs. Um like they are, they're good programs, but I've had several good meals at both restaurants. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, but what I'm saying is, is that you know we're kind of seeing it from the outsiders. Like, what is it really going to be like at those restaurants? You know, right? Um, but it all again, it all comes from the top. We'll just see what happens. 
<laughs> yeah, and I've never been to a Star Cinema Grill, so I have no idea whether the food at them is good and whether they're qualified to keep State Fair running. I at- mean, you know, I don't know. I l- like, let's talk about that whole area. I mean, f- right now, State Fair is like the crowning jewel in that area. Nobody, <laughs> nobody in that area knows knows what they know. I mean, right, right. I mean, to to be specific, right? Valoons just closed. Yeah. Coup is lovely, but is never busy, at least in my experience. Yeah. And then there's a Churrasco's up there, and I, I, I mean, you know, I just, it's not a Churrasco. I went to that Churrasco's once when it opened, and haven't been back. Well, I, I mean, that's why we're opening up Jonathan's The Rub to take that <laughs> crown. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's really. I mean, there's so like that that part of Houston is so. Underdeserved. I mean, I'm under underserved, underserved. Like everything around there, you go, you like, you cannot get a proper martini over there. You know, there's no one like doing like a great program. You know, the service there is just, it's passable. But I mean, all of those people, we see them inside town. You know, we see them at, you know, cocktail bars and restaurants and they're going to cultivare and they're going to you know they're going to calle onze they're going to presidio they're going to those places you know? so you're saying there's an opportunity so that's so that's one of the reasons you're excited about being the beverage consultant for jonathan the new jonathan's is because you see opportunity yeah i mean to elevate yeah absolutely i mean when i took over when i did uh hungries you know the hungries over there like it's just like a little like Ice House, but even then it was like, even just a simple blackberry margarita for them was like, oh, this is so amazing, you know, because there is nothing out there except for like, you know, sports bars and, you know, right, garbage, other drinks. Ugh. Anyways. And and what your your old friend Matt Tanner has done for the Pappas restaurants. That, that Tanner. All right. Let us move on. Uh, I want to talk about a hashtag culture map exclusive. Savoie, the new restaurant currently being built on the corner of Yale and 14th Street in the Heights. This is the first restaurant from Brian Doak. He was the longtime operations manager for Tiny Boxwoods. Uh, over the last couple of years, he's done a little bit of consulting for Relish Restaurant and Bar. I know one of our favorite restaurants and also Chapman and Kirby. Uh, and... Uh, Next to the restaurant, they're opening a wine shop. Uh, Brian is working with your friend, William. Mesnerick. Mesnerick. Good. That's, that's, that's on you because I would have mispronounced his last name. I think what I am most intrigued about by Savoie is that it's going to be a little more elevated than your usual Heights restaurant. For example, Brian wants to have glass partitions between the bar area and the dining room to keep the noise from the bar separate from the noise of the dining room, right? Big wine list picked by William, you know, diverse menu, technique driven. You're shaking your head at me. Linda, why are you shaking your head at me? I mean, this is so here. So here's one thing that, you know, I was, I was discussing with someone this morning and it is know your guests, know your clients know the regulars, know the neighborhood, you know, how many seats is that? So it's going to be about 30, 40 in the bar, about 70 in the dining room. And then they have like a kind of indoor outdoor space that can seat another 35. I think an indoor, indoor space, amazing crush, you know, great wine, wines. Awesome. Um, that style of service, I mean, I think you're, they're, they might get a little pushback from that uh, from those that heights that heights crowd. You know, they love bringing in, coming in with their kids, and you know, and lots of groups of people. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But know your know your know your 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 client. You know, well, your guests. So I guess from my perspective, there's a lot of kind of casual take your kids, show up in a group, restaurants in the heights. Yeah. There's not really anything, I mean, you know, Cultivari is so casual. I mean, I love the the food there, but, you know, it's it's very casual. They don't take reservations. And I they mean, are crushing it. I no doubt. Like one of my one of my personal favorite restaurants and a restaurant that I think a lot of people aspire to open because yeah. it is cool. 
Um, they can basically do whatever they want from a food perspective and it stays super busy. But in terms of an elevated experience, I mean, what's the nicest restaurant in the Heights right now? Probably Maison. Yeah. Maison Pooch is a good one. Maybe Alice Blue. Yeah. So I feel like there's an opportunity, right? We've, we've done the casual Southern inspired thing. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm highly intrigued by this, you know, like slightly fancier than Nancy's hustle. Basically, I think is kind of what they're going for. Yeah. Well, um, William's got an incredible pedigree as far as like, you know, uh, wine training. He opened up a, his own or, or a part of a wine company that has, you know, done really well in Houston. And so uh, I'm really excited to see what they have. But, you know, me, I'm always looking down my, you know, snooty eye, eye spectacles. Well, and I, <laughs> and, and I want to know who the chef is and apparently – he or she is working at another restaurant and it's too soon to say, but you know, tell me, tell me if the food's any good and I will feel better about predicting success or failure. I mean, food, I honestly, you can have really great food. What really comes down to it is you, you and you and I both know nothing gets past me unless it's great service. So, well, and that is something that Brian is very personally committed to. It's something he has a lot of experience with. And that is one of the reasons I am optimistic about this restaurant. That will open hopefully in November. And then, you know, this is kind of the year of reconcepting, right? Justin, you jumped on it a little bit early by flipping Oxhart into Theodore Rex. Of course, Chris Shepard converted Underbelly to UB Preserve. Uh, Up in the Woodlands, Hubble and Hudson is about to become a new restaurant called Tris. And... My friend Mary Clarkson, a frequent contributor to this program, announced last week that she is going to change La Olivier into a new restaurant called Avondale Food and Wine. They're going to move away from having a strictly French menu. They're going to focus on seasonal ingredients. They're going to focus on just having like 15 to 20 items that they feel really good about. And they're going to give up their mixed beverage liquor license so that they can add wine retail. Their current private dining room is going to have shelves. They're going to have about 100 wines picked by Nate Rose, who spent a long time at Specs and most recently was working with Brian Caswell at Oxbow 7. You, you're, you're not shaking your head at me, but you're looking at me like... What is that going to look like? I mean, what is that going to look like for that? I mean, Well, it's going to have its own door. Oh, right. So door. you can, so you can come in. Well, I think that's important, right? You want to buy a you want to buy a bottle of wine. You don't necessarily want to walk through a dining room. You just mm-hmm. walk into the in the little wine shop part. Now, obviously, Mary will be back on the show in a couple of weeks, and I'm sure she'll want to talk about this in more detail. Uh, but I will just say I'm really I'm excited for her. Uh, I think this has been a long time coming. I think Olivier has maybe gotten lost in the shuffle in terms of what's going on in Montrose and that uh, a new name, a new menu, you know, some new decor will get people to look at that place with fresh eyes. We'll see what happens. (laughs) You want to make a prediction? No, not at all. I'll I'll have to see the space. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you're, you're a, I think of you as a, a wine person, a beverage person. One of the things they want to do is sell, like really small boutique wines that are hard to get at retail. I mean, I have a really hard time breaking away from the like the true retail boutique, which is Houston, Houston wine, wine merchant. No doubt. Antonio Gianola. Like Well, and you could also point out that David Keck is opening a wine shop down the street sometime next year. That's cool. I mean, those are all really great things for the, for the, uh, that's a really great thing for the, for Montrose and like inside the loop, you know, the nerds, you know, uh, which is, I am part of that club. Um, Proudly. Yeah. Uh, but um, I mean, Antonio has like boutique, really cool boutique bourbons. And like, that's just like they, now they they pick up their own barrels and, they do cool, you a, know. I love wine merchant. I know. I buy, I buy bourbon and tequila there. I don't really buy wine there because I don't really buy wine. Yeah. But I buy spirits there. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's when I'm, when I have a gift, that's where I go. But we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens over there. And, you know, Nate Rose does a really good job. Um, 
He's got a great palate. He's a kind of crazy person, which I absolutely adore him for that. Um, and why, what I'm saying is, is that like I like people that are a little just wild. You know? Yeah, Nate. I mean, Nate definitely marches to the beat of his own drummer, but he really knows a lot about wine. He does, and he's a good person to partner with on a project like this. So, like I said, I'm optimistic. We'll have Marion. I'll have Marion in a few weeks to talk about this in some more detail, but. Uh, if you are a La Olivier fan, you have until about September 8th to eat there. And then on roughly September 13th or 14th, it's going to reopen as Avondale Food and Wine. All right. One more news item I want to discuss with you. We have an opening date for Ford Fry's, two new restaurants, the Tex-Mex restaurant, Superica. And it's kind of a, I've been thinking of it as a seafood concept, but they're going to have fried chicken and burgers, too, called La Lucha, uh, which apparently means the fight. It's named after the San Jacinto Inn. So the fight where the Texas Army defeated Santa Ana to earn Texas independence in 1836. I guess that's the idea. Uh, taking the former hunky-dory Bernadine space in the Heights on 19th Street. So it's going to be two restaurants? Two restaurants. Two restaurants, just like the last place was two restaurants? That's right. That failed? Yes. In the Heights? Yes. That's full of people that eat are eating out all the time? Yes. Okay. Let's see what happens. But but more approachable from a price perspective. Okay. Right? And presumably without the financial shenanigans that plague the former owners. Okay. You like State of Grace? Oh, I love State of Grace. I love Bobby Matos. So Bobby Matos is also this is this is the same company that owns well, State of Grace. And you know what's funny is um is obviously everyone knows uh I tend to be a little bit pessimist. Um I had one of the most outstanding tasting menus at State of Grace and I was really kind of upset that Bobby wasn't there. I was like, "What kind of chef has a tasting menu and isn't here for the tasting menu?" Rah! And like second course in, they they shut me up. They shut me up real fast. Well, and they were like, "Eat this, lady, and you will like it." And I said, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, when State of Grace opened, it was so crazy busy. Yeah, that it was hard for anybody to get their hands around it. But they have a really good staff there. Bobby's got a great crew in the kitchen. Yeah, uh, some of whom will be jumping over to. Be a part of La Lucha and uh, and Superica. Uh, Matt Crawford, their very talented general manager, will be dividing his time between the two properties. And uh, and they previewed some of the food items. They previewed like at a party at State of Grace. They did the fried chicken. They did this thing called crawfish bread that was like basically just like buttery crawfish etouffee kind of hmm. on toasted white bread that was epic and delicious. Uh, and they previewed the fried chicken and it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was crispy and juicy. Who's and doing their beverage greasy. program? Well, I, I assume that Matt is where is kind of leading that charge. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're all based out of Atlanta. So I'm sure the folks in Atlanta have, have a say in the cocktails, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I could wind up at La Lucha a lot. Right, eating roasted oysters and fried chicken and a burger and be very, very happy about the whole thing. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, Linda, you did mention Jonathan's The Rub. Where where are we on that? When do you think that's going to open? We're, uh, we're a few weeks out. A few weeks out. Uh, we're waiting on, of course, the city and some, and some paperwork. So um, we recently acquired uh, Stephen Ripley. Uh, Stephen Ripley used to work at Helen's. Um, he originally worked in the kitchen and now he, um, I took him, well, he came over with me over to at Hungry's and really helped me, uh, really, um, identify, you know, that whole program. Right. I think when I met Stephen Ripley for the first time, he was the chef at D&D Drive-In. That might be possible. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then you, you, you brought him to the dark side to the front of the house. Yes. Yes, front of, front of the house. <laughs> and he's done very well. He's done, I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you. I think that, um, like, back of the house works so hard under so much pre pressure. And that 
that get, that get paid trash. I mean, I just like I don't know how many people are like, oh, I need a. I I mean, I see it every day. All chefs are like, I need a line cook, and I'm like, oh, how much do you want to pay? Oh, fifteen dollars, fifteen dollars an hour. Like, Sometimes they want to pay eleven dollars. Eleven dollars an hour, and then, I, man, I don't know. I mean, it's like back of the house to get very little love, you know, and. You know, sometimes they care more about, like, the operations. They get there earlier. They have to, you know what I mean? They have to dial in things. You know, there's so much stuff that they have to take care of. And then they get, you know, basically shit on most of the time, you know, until they finally get someone to maybe pay them 45 you know, forty-five. You know, forty-five. Right, the sous chef job. Right. Yeah, sous chef job, and then have to still have to work eighty or ninety, you know, hours. I mean, no, it's crazy. But um, Stephen's uh, going to be the AGM at Jonathan's. Uh, obviously, Shepard Ross is doing the wine list. Um, I'm doing beverage. Um, so it's. I mean, it's a it's a nice little rowdy team. So I'm really excited. Good. Um, All right. That does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Linda, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk about a couple of recent openings, starting with the new St. Arnold Restaurant and Beer Garden. Uh, St. Arnold has had food for a long time in their tap room, but it's been a teeny tiny kitchen with a limited menu. This is a huge step up for them. Uh, pizzas, entrees, starters, sandwiches. It has been incredibly popular. It has been incredibly busy. Uh, I know you ate there recently. What did you think of the food that Chef Ryan Savoie is turning out at St. Arnold? It's good. Uh, it's good. Uh, actually, Jason Hill is in that kitchen. Yes, Big Sexy himself. Big Sexy himself. Um, yeah, Jason Hill's in that kitchen. Um, I only had a few a few items. Um, that thing's a monster. That thing is a monster. They are cranking so much volume. Yeah, they are way busier, I think, than they thought they would be, especially I'm, for I, how hot it is. Right I now. mean, I'm gonna like just. I heard this, and this just might be a little a little rumor. Um, they are cranking more in one weekend than their anniversary parties. Wow. So, I mean, good for them. Right, right. Good, good for, for them. Good for them for for being ambitious and building that thing. And then, like, really committing to the food program with, yeah. like, really good stuff. That pizza is really good. Uh, I didn't have the pizza. Um, okay, well, you're a pizza snob, so I want you to go back and have the pizza because uh, I think it might be top ten pizza. I Don't start with me with that. No. Um, there's not even a five to top five in Houston. So, you know, top 10 is, you know, you're really asking for it. Um, but their crawfish roll, their crawfish roll, I think that that looked like a cake and bacon bread. That might be. Well, they're bake and they're baking. They're doing a lot of their own baking. So I don't know. Yeah. It might be cake and bacon. It, was, it might be. It was like refreshing and delicious with little bits of parsley and crunchy celery and big Fat, juicy crawfish tails. Oh, so good. Celery salt. It was outstanding. Yeah. I mean, they're doing uh, shrimp and crab cakes that are just full of meat. I mean, they're fried, but not too much breading. Uh, like I said, I, I really like the pizza. I tried the lamb chops. Those were pretty solid. And, I mean, the whole roster of St. Arnold beer is on tap. And yeah. I like their beers. Yeah, their beers. Um, I, I think they were, for a long time, they were... They were very, like, middle-of-the-road beers for me. They were very, like, you know, oh, Lawnmower, Weed Whacker, so on and so forth. But they've really stepped it up. Um, uh, who was it? It was the original. It, it, anyways, it's neither here nor there. They've, they have some really good brewers. Aaron Inkrot's been with them for a long time. He does all their barrels. Um, they've got a couple of different, like, different people that have been around the country. They've literally, they're paying for some of the best people to come and like really help them step up their like their their brand so um i'm i'm excited for them i i like it when people that have you know kind of started small you know grew 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 and then you know decided to start to bring in you know big boys so 
So, Linda, the other restaurant I want to talk about is Cow Ba Kitchen. Uh, this is the new restaurant. It replaced Bacchus in Montrose. The chef is Nikki Tran. She had like little guest features on two Netflix series, one called Somebody Feed Phil and the other on David Chang's Ugly Delicious. Kind of made her a little bit of a viral sensation. Uh, we did not go to Cow Ba together, uh, but I think we had similar experiences in that uh, there were certain aspects of my meal that were a little bit up and down. Uh, and I get the sense that that was yours as well. Why don't we talk about yours first? Okay, we will talk about mine first. So we started with the chef's special dumplings, a mixture of shrimp and pork. Um, I thought the skin was a little bit thick. I thought the filling could have used a little something, maybe like a little ginger or something to kind of perk it up. Uh, and then my friend and I split the uh, seafood vegan. That's what she's really known for. Uh, mixture of shrimp, mussels, clams, and crab in a garlic butter sauce. I was really excited about this dish. Um, but one of the cooks had squeezed too much orange juice over it, and it was really bitter. Uh, Nikki stopped by the table. She was like, how is it? And we said, well, to be honest with you, it's kind of bitter. She insisted on taking it back and replacing it with uh, a sauce that was properly made. That was better. That allowed that, like, you know, creamy, buttery deliciousness and the garlic to come through with just a little bit of that citrus to kind of cut it and balance it. So, you know, I I thought kind of overall a little bit up and down. Uh, and then there was a dessert. I don't remember what it was, but I remember it was good. Which probably doesn't speak well of it, but... Um, so enough about it was sort of promising uh, to make me want to go back, but it also felt like a restaurant that still had a bunch of kinks to work out. I think that they need to. I, I I'll be honest with you. We I went and um, I ate a lot of Asian food, and so we ordered a bun rio, which is like a tomato shrimp based or shrimp crab um, dish. Uh, we ordered a, we ordered a couple of different things. Um, the food was fine. It's a it's a little bit pricier than I would like uh, for Vietnamese food, um, but overall, they just need management. In all honesty, like there's a lot of little things. Yeah, there's not a lot of service. There's not a not there's not a lot of service, and that neighborhood needs service. You know, I mean, I'm sorry if you're going to be charging. Anywhere from fifteen dollars for a bowl of pho or fifteen dollars fifty dollars for a mixed seafood for a platter. mixed seafood platter. You know, um, there was a, a small little hiccup towards the end of the night, and you know, I kind of like it wasn't a hiccup that I would that was bothering me. It's like, hey guys, I don't think you know that this is not supposed to happen this way, and it turned into a twenty five minute conversation outside, a lot of apologies, and I was like, I'm just trying to help you out like i need i want to walk to my car and so it's just like it's a really it's a new owner i really want them to do well the food is tasty um but i mean right now it's like somebody go drop your management you know <laughs> your resume over to them like yes uh experienced front of house managers this is your opportunity yes uh yeah i mean i i, I like i have high hopes for them and you know um apparently she said that she even came out and talked to us for a second uh really like with a lot of humility and just really like oh my gosh we didn't know and uh, you know my friend was came in and they brought some wine in and you know, but th that, you know, this, this, it was just a lot of like confusion, like, no, it's okay. You don't have to apologize. Like, don't worry. Like, just kind of like brush it off. You know, I, I felt like I was coaching a, a new baby, baby restaurant owner. I um, mean, essentially that's what she is. I mean, she, she had a restaurant and she had restaurants in Vietnam, but this is, this is really coming back, you know, and she's worked at restaurants in Houston, but this is really coming back and and, you know, not being in Chinatown, right? There's a difference between being in Montrose and being in Chinatown and what the expectations are and how to handle that. And so yeah. she's got some learning to do. Yeah, I mean, they do have they do have a few cocktails um, at the bar and some of the some of the staff I've seen in other restaurants. So that, you know, 
order some cocktails there. Um, you're good. They're not using gross pasteurized juice. So thank goodness. Um, and um, she said, uh, I, I think someone else had kind of told me that they're going to do some revamps for the patio, you know, because it's just a little hot right now. Right. So um, we'll just see. I want to keep an eye on them. And, you know, and she even said, she's like, I know that we've kind of opened up with a kind of a, a strange, not a strange menu, but a, just kind of like an every everyday menu. And I, that's not really what I want to be doing. But I was kind of. I was kind of uh, it was suggested to me to have a couple of things that people were were you know that knew a little bit about it you know so um let's just I, I say we give her a couple of a couple of yeah, months we'll go back in a couple of weeks and then before the next time you're on the show and then we'll we'll update our update our opinions opinions absolutely all right uh Paul Miller is waiting so I'm going to put a pin in this Linda thank you for being here Oh thanks for having me I will be right back with Paul Miller you're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by 8th Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. It's been really fun to watch 8th Wonder evolve from its sort of humble beginnings in a little corner of a warehouse to now a gigantic warehouse, the huge backyard that they call Wonder World, where you can go before sports games, especially with uh, soccer season and baseball season heating up. Eighth Wonders Brewery is conveniently located uh, within walking distance. You might see my colleague Fred Fowler walking around there. I know it's a favorite spot of his. And there's always something new to try at Eighth Wonder. Like they just released their Procrastinator Session IPA, the official beer of doing nothing. They're going to have their hip hop series rolling out here in the next little bit. And, you know, you can always count on an 8th Wonder Beer to be refreshing, delicious, and fresh because it's made right here locally all the time. So thank you to 8th Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Paul Miller, the owner of Great Plate Hospitality. They operate five Union Kitchen locations, two Jack's Grills, Paul, you're going to have to help me out here because I, I feel like I'm, I'm missing <laughs> a food truck called the Rolling Kitchen, a smoker called the Smoking Kitchen. Um, what else? We're working on some working on some other stuff. Too. Right. Soon to be soon to be six Union Kitchens and yes, three sir. Jack's Grills. Very excited because uh, you just announced that you're opening one of each out in Katy, which is where you live. Um, I want to come back to that. OK, because I always like to start at the beginning with these especially for a first-time guest. Paul, how did you get involved in the restaurant business? Wow, you're going way back. Way back. <laughs> um, so I'm in high school, and I was always the organizer. You know, all my buddies would give me their money. I'd go out and get, you know, I'd buy the burgers, and I'd put the coolers together, and I'd buy the charcoal for the grill, and we'd go out to the park or the beach or the lake or wherever it was, and I would kind of do everything, and um, we always had a good time. And my mom pretty much told me right back then that I was going to do something in the restaurant business, you know, something to do with hospitality. And at the time, I don't know that I thought much about it. You know, you you change. You know, first I was going to be a professional football player, then I was going to be, you know, a fireman. <laughs> you know, who knows? You go right. You I, go, I mean, I was going to be a doctor <laughs> in third grade. You can see how yeah, all there that you worked go. Out. So, um, you know, come come full circle. I go off to college. I'm playing. I'm playing football at Purdue. And I was in engineering, and realized very quickly that was not the uh, that was not the path for me. Went uh, codoed into uh, business, and then um, hotel and restaurant is in consumer and family sciences. Ended up graduating uh, with a degree in uh, consumer and family sciences, which is essentially RHIT at every other school. And for my first job was with Pappas, and I came out. And actually, the funny story about that: I went to the OU Texas game with my dad, my parents. And afterwards, we went to Papado's, then we went to Papacito's, then we went to Papa's Barbecue, then we went to the Steakhouse, and I was just like, this company's unbelievable. I mean, they got it going on. So uh, I interviewed on the spot with a guy named Jack Gibbons. They uh, offered me a position, graduated, and moved down to Texas. So it's, uh, I've been in restaurant business ever since. That was 1996. Okay. And then how did you make the transition from working for Papa's to going out on your own and opening the first Union Kitchen? 
I, I think I always, I mean, I shouldn't say I think, I always knew I was going to do something on my own. It just really depend, depended on how much experience I needed, how much I felt like I needed to learn. And, you know, at one point I thought maybe I'm going to be a regional manager with, you know, with Pappas. And then I realized that's, you know, it's a family, it's a family run operation. And unless your last name's Pappas, you're probably, you know, not going to, not going right, to work out. Yeah, exactly. So I went to go work for, um, Grand Lutz Cafe. After Pappas, I opened the one in the Galleria, and I like I like them a lot. I like Grand Lux. I like Cheesecake Factory. I love the I love, you know, the organization. A um, lot of real positive things. But uh, I like those big to order chocolate chip cookies. Uh, at the end. Yeah, yep, Lemon Extravaganza was fantastic. They, they do a lot of things really well. But I also realized that it's a it's kind of a meat grinder, man. You know, it's they're doing ten to twelve million bucks a year. Hard floors on your feet all day. It was just um, it beat you up a little bit, you know. It's um, it's a it's a busy, busy place. Uh, I went to go work for McCormick and Schmicks. I was general manager over there at the one in the um, Uptown Park for a while. Really liked the way things were going there. Uh, again, thought maybe I'll do the regional manager type path because there was that path at the time. Tillman came in and made a couple runs at the operation, and it was just sort of this. Um, culmination of, of perfect timing. Uh, Tuck One, which is uh, the Union Kitchen on Bel Air, was for sale. Uh, it was a, a Gina's Italian Bistro at the time. I was thinking about leaving uh, McCormick and Schmicks and um, pulled the trigger and bought that, and that was Tuck One. Uh, and I, I think what I like about the Union Kitchen is that, you know, we talk about, you know, I use that phrase something for everyone all the time. Uh, but you really do. You really do at the Union Kitchen. You really do have a, a really broad menu. You know, it's so trendy now to have like, oh yeah, we have a fifteen item menu. It's like that. That will never fly. You have fifteen appetizers. At the Union Kitchen. Yeah, we actually uh, when I was going through when I was going through originally setting up the menu, um, the way my wife and I dine when we go out is we'll order all the appetizers and a bottle of wine, and we just kind of sample around and we taste different things. And I really wanted the Union Kitchen to be, you know, without calling it tapas and without going in a Spanish direction, I really wanted it to be that. I wanted people to have the opportunity to order eight or 10 or 15 or (laughs) 20 appetizers, get a bottle of wine and sample around. And, you know, with the main menu, we really started by asking everybody in the neighborhood, what do you want? What would you like to see here at this restaurant? And it started with, sandwiches and salads. And then people came in and said, I'd really like to get a nice piece of fish. I'd like to be able to order a steak. Um, then it was, uh, you know, I'd like, I'd like you to think outside the box a little bit, like put some unique stuff on here. So essentially what's happened is the menu grew from starting at probably 50 or 60 items to now from brunch, lunch, all day. And the features that we do, we're, we're well over 150 items on all of our menus combined. So, you know, the idea of, everybody being able to find something is, is really what we strive for. The, the challenge is obviously doing all those items well. <laughs> right, right. So. I mean, it's easy, right? It should be easy to do 18 items well. It's really hard to do 150 items well. It is, and I think that's where having an executive chef in every restaurant with the managers that we have and the, and the, and the staff, the cooks that we've had for years. I mean, there, there's, there's tenure, you know, with Jack's Grill, we just celebrated 25 years. And there's 15 employees that I bought watches for that have been around for 25 years. It's amazing, you know. With us starting the Union Kitchen in 2010, I've still got I've still got 15 or 20 employees that have been here since 2010. And obviously, that doesn't seem that long, but in the industry in this in this day and age, for somebody to stick around for for eight, nine, ten years, that's that's pretty solid. Right. And then, so how quickly did you realize that you had something on your that you would develop something that you could you could grow? I think it, it really wasn't – I knew I wanted to grow, but what I really thought was going to happen was we were going to come up with different concepts. So I thought, I, I thought now, you know, looking back at 2010 and 2018, 2020, I thought I'd be, ha- I'd be a company with 10 different concepts, 12 different concepts. You'd have like a seafood place and a pizza joint and a – Exactly. Okay. And what we've done is – I've got a whole pizza section of pizzas that, you know, I personally, I'm slightly biased, but (laughs) I personally think they're pretty damn good. You know, I I think we have a really good uh, sandwich and salad section. I think we have, I think our burger is one of the, is one of the best in the city. So what we did is instead of doing a burger joint and a pizza joint and a seafood joint, 
we put them all at the same restaurant. And what I mean by other people sort of led me in this direction is a lot of other landlords came to us and said, man, I, I love what you're doing. I love the fact that you have brunch. I love the fact that you've got, you know, pizzas and sandwiches and salads and steaks and fish and all this stuff on your menu. So I really want the Union Kitchen here. And then I want the Union Kitchen here. So our growth has been from other people coming to us saying, I really want this in my neighborhood. I want this in my center. Um, can you come do it? And it's been, you know, it's been great. So for you then, what determines when it's time to do the next one? How do you, how do you decide? Um, well, first of all, money, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that's uh, the restaurants have to be, you know, they've got to be making money. They've I've got to be able to put some money in the bank and you have to have the money to build, you know, to build the next one. But really, um, it's the neighborhood. You know, there, there's a lot of neighborhoods around town that I really want to get into. And, um, you know, Katie, Katie being one of them. Um, you know, I have conversations with my friends that are in the business all the time. And what I'm really seeing in certain, in certain neighborhoods in Houston is we're splitting the dollar, right? So there's a cap on the number of dollars that are spent in an area. You know, there, there are certain places that you just you can't build any more houses or more people can't move into. So you take you take the dollar and let's call it a hundred dollars for instance, and then you're making a hundred, and then one of your buddies opens up a quarter of a mile away. Well, now those people aren't eating out. If they were eating out four times a week, they're not eating out eight times a week now. They're still eating out four times a week, but twice they're going over there and twice they're coming to us. So, you know, with a lot of these guys that are moving to town, again, I'm I'm just seeing us split the dollar, which is certainly not positive in our situation. But if we're the first one into a neighborhood. You know, Ella's a perfect example. Um, that that area right there by the railroad tracks, when we built the thing, I, it scared. My dad wouldn't park his car there when we went to look at it. <laughs> he wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't leave his car. He's like, he's like, he's like, no, no, you're hopping in my car. You leave your car here. Let's go drive around. And then he saw the gentrification that went from the r- railroad tracks north. And now, uh, two and a half years later, we're seeing. You know, 34th Street, there's two brand new shopping centers that are going in. There's a bunch of new restaurants. So, you know, Gatlin, I think, was one of the first guys to go over there. And I, I went over and ate barbecue at his place and asked him about it. And, you know, he's seeing growth just because people have found him. That Ella is Right. If you drove from Ella at 610, three years ago, it was nothing but fast food restaurants. Yep. All the way, all the way to the railroad track and then residential after that. Yep. And now it's... I mean, now the the amount of growth is incredible, right? It's it's you and and Gatlin's and and Flying Fu and Les Baguettes opening over there and Aladdin just opened BB's over there. BB's is opening in the same center right. as Aladdin. Uh, Pop and Pan, I think, is is supposed to still open. I hope they do. I really like their paninis. Um, but yeah, there's some cool stuff coming to that area. Well, and and Garden Oaks is a is a you know Garden Oaks and Oak Forest are neighborhoods that have seen incredible growth as. The Heights is kind of filled up, right? It's it's very expensive to live in the Heights now. So people, but people still want to be kind of close to town, and and you know when they move into a neighborhood, they want good restaurants, and you know the cycle keeps moving. Yep. And my wife and I were driving around back in the neighborhoods, and we had no idea. You know, we we had no idea how nice the houses were. You know, a lot of them are teardowns and rebuilds, and then there's some of the you know two thousand square foot houses that were there from before. But it's a really it's a really vibrant neighborhood, and that's why we said, "Heck yeah, let's pull the trigger and and do this." And man, we've been we've been very happy over there. All right. So then, how did Katie come together, and why did you decide to do both a Union Kitchen and a Jacks in the same development? That's a that's kind of a funny story. Um, so I live in Katie. My I've got three kids. Uh, I didn't want to pay for private schools by living inside the loop. <laughs> you know, the schools schools are great out there in Katie. I couldn't afford to live where I really wanted to be, which would probably be like the Memorial area or, you know, down in Bel Air. I just, I, I couldn't afford to buy a house there. So we went out to Katy, bought, and we've talked about opening a restaurant in the Katy area for a long time, but the, the situation was never really right. And then I went over and started talking to a guy named Austin Alvis with uh, New Quest, And we were just talking about a union kitchen because I really wanted to do full service out in Katy. I think it's a I think it's an area that's that's starving for sort of that middle. Like we've got the we've got some of the high end, and we've got too much of the. <laughs> you got a food. lot of garbage chains. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll say it so you don't have to. <laughs> a lot of those. So I wanted to do the union where I kind of fell in the middle, and the property that we were talking about is right across the street from Tompkins High School. So you've got 
heck, I think the freshman class coming out of there is going to be like 1,200 kids. So, I mean, it's a big freaking school. Uh, the area that we chose is has got a Villa Sport, which, uh, well, they signed a contract for Villa Sport. They're getting ready to break ground. 125,000 square foot workout facility that is just absolutely gargantuan, going to have a ton of members. And they're really busy from about 7 o'clock in the morning to 10. We open at 11 and then, you know, 10 o'clock on the weekends. And we were talking about the union and how we really felt like that would be a good fit for the neighborhood with the with the big green, I think it's 9,000 square feet of green space in the middle of a horseshoe-shaped center. And Austin said to me, you know, Jack's Grill seems like a, a lot of these high school kids would love to come over here and, and you know, do counter service, grab a burger, milkshake, you know, whatever. And um, it <laughs> opened my eyes and I said, all right, well, we're already talking about 5,000 square feet for – a union. What if we did a four forty five hundred square foot restaurant at the other end, and we do live music? We could do events on the green space. We can do, you know, bocce ball and cornhole, and you know, maybe even do like a movie on Saturday night or Sunday night or you know something like that. And um, it came to fruition. You know, it started it started completely out of the blue. I had no plans to grow that way. And then uh, you know, here we are signing leases, and hopefully construction gets started in the next uh, next couple of weeks. Right, and then you just celebrated, as you said, you just celebrated 25 years of Jack's Grill. Amazing. Uh, I think of it as, as basically a burger concept. I have to admit it's been a couple of years since I've eaten at one. It's funny that you say that. Um, I was talking to Nick on the way over here, and I said he said he was going to grab a burger and fries and stuff, and I go, you know what? Do me a favor. Grab a piece of trout. Our char-grilled trout is absolutely spectacular, and I think what's great about both the Union Kitchen and the Jack's Grill concepts is – Easy access, easy entry point, right? So a burger at the Union Kitchen will cost you 12 bucks, you know, 13, 13 if you substitute fries, $13. So at Union at uh, Jack's Grill, it's $5.25 for a half-pound burger. $5.25 for a half-pound burger cooked on Mesquite Grill. For another 4 bucks, you can add fries and a drink. So if you go in and you spend $9, $9.25, and, you know, add tax on top of that, and it's good quality, you're going to come back. And then when you come back, hopefully you do our steak night, you buy a piece of trout, you do a seafood platter, like you try some of the other dishes that we do, and you'd be surprised. My, my lunch today was, um, was asparagus and crab soup. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, it was awesome. I hadn't eaten it in so long, but I walked by and I saw him making it, and I was like, that's what I'm having for lunch. And it was really good. So, well, and, and I was going to ask you how, you how you stay competitive with all the new burger concepts to keep rolling into town, but, but you kind of, you kind of answered it because you're not just burgers. Yep. And, and that, and that does help. And again, it's, it's that family friendly approach and that diverse menu. Um, that's what makes it a good concept. Never meats, never frozen $5 and 25 cents for a half pound burger. You do not see that. There's nobody in town that can match that. I've, I've eaten at every burger joint. <laughs> Trust me. I've got the waistline to prove it. My pants don't fit. But, um, but yeah, I've eaten at all of them. And I think, again, easy, ac- easy access, low entry point, get it, like it, come back and try something else. All right. So I, I do want to take you in a slightly different direction. Yes, sir. A couple of three years ago, you tried your hand at, at a more elevated concept. You opened a restaurant called Paul's Kitchen in the Upper Kirby area never quite came together in the way that you anticipated. Do you still have any aspirations for kind of a fine dining concept or, or like fool me once and that's it? Oh no, I have aspirations. There's, <laughs> there's no two ways about it. So, so what are the lessons you learned from that experience? Oh my gosh. If you had an hour, I could go through, I, I could go through. Don't, don't open behind <laughs> Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get, you're, nobody's going to be able to get to your restaurant any day that there's a playoff game, whether it be baseball, basketball, football. It was, um, you know, there were, a, there were a lot of things uh, that I learned. Um, location is, is certainly one, you know, you can have a crazy location, but like Mark can do it. Mark Cox can do it. Like th- there's certain chefs around town. Right. Like think about where Theodore Rex is, right? Like exactly. if you're just in you, you can get away with that. Yep. Real. Uh, um, I mean, there's, there's several restaurants that are small and they did it. They do it right. They have a good following. Several things that we uh, could have done better. Uh, first of all, the space is gigantic, right? It's cavernous. We, it wasn't, um, it wasn't cozy. We, we had a gigantic dining room 
it even when it was full, even if we had 15, 20 tables in there, it felt like it was empty and it didn't have the vibe that we were really looking for. So, you know, vibe and feeling was definitely one. It was comfortable, but it wasn't the, the vibe wasn't there. Um, second was we really did farm to table. Like we didn't talk about it. We didn't pay it lip service. We did it. It was our menu changed on a weekly slash monthly basis. And I had no idea, you know, all these, there, there are a lot of other concepts that say they're green and they talk about, they talk about farm to table, but they're not. If somebody has Brussels sprouts on their menu year round, you're not farm to table. You are on occasion. Right. You know, if, if you've got, you know, goat cheese, for instance, you, you can't, you can't get the amount of goat cheese that you need arugula for a salad. Um, I mean, I could go through, <laughs> I could go through a whole list of these things that you can't get. I mean, if, if you're, if you're, if you're making crab cakes, you cannot get fresh crab 12 months out of the year. You're going to go to pasteurized at some point. And that's not what we wanted to do. But then what we realized was you're changing the menu on a regular basis and people were coming back for a certain dish and two weeks from now they couldn't find it. And then, so, so there was a challenge there. Then beyond that, everything was expensive. You know, it's not, it's not like you did 44 farms filet mignon and that was the expensive item, but everything else was inexpensive. Everything was expensive across the board. So, you know, while we didn't, while we didn't lose money, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't one of these things that was just a, a massive failure and everything went sideways. We didn't make any money. And we were working really hard at trying to run the concept. I mean, it, Best New Restaurant 2015, you know, it was voted by, uh, it was voted online. And so we did some cool things and I certainly learned a lot of lessons, but when we went, when we changed it from Paul's Kitchen to Merrill House, which was our banquet event facility, it did great. My food cost was set. We had these big events. You know, we do, we do events for anywhere from 20,000 up to 80 or 90,000 in one night. I mean, it was just, it was amazing what I saw could happen in a banquet facility if you ran it right. But the real problem was that's not my business. Like that's not what I do. And we didn't have a full-time staff there and we'd go four or five days without an event. And then you'd book an event on the weekend or you'd have something on a Tuesday or I was just out. Right. And then you got to work with some staffing company and the quality of the experience varies wildly and and, and who's, you know, who's the one chef that's assigned there. And first we had Paul Lewis and then I had one of my other chefs come over and then, you know, we just, there were just too many moving parts. So we had, um, lawyer Nick Lanza came in and made us an offer on the property because he wanted to make his office there. Right. And he says, uh, he goes, I love the location. I love the address. I want to do my office there, which it's a much better fit. Trust me right. <laughs> to be an office. than it was a restaurant. And he goes, and you can have all the equipment. You can take it all with you. And we were like, uh, well, this is a no brainer, right? So pulled the trigger and, and, uh, you know, sold it and took that money and put it into a couple other projects. So we're happy. <laughs> um, so you said you have, uh, you have some aspirations to do a more elevated concept. Absolutely. Um, what are you thinking about for the future? I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to jump you too far ahead, but We've got, there's about four concepts that we are developing right now. And I think, I think anybody you talk to that's in the business always is kind of developing that next thing. Whether yeah, it's, yeah. Grant Cooper tells me I have five things at 75%. And yeah. then it's, <laughs> you know, when I find the right real estate and the right, you know, and then something could go to a hundred, you know, in two weeks or whatever. That's exactly right. And I think it's a, What's the location? What's the fit? What's the neighborhood want? And then I've got to try to have that piece to fit in there. And, you know, the other thing that we're doing is looking at other people's restaurants. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that is um, sort of, I don't want to say in peril, but there's a lot of question marks around town and, and people are looking to make some moves. So, you know, if somebody came to me and said, I've got these three restaurants, they're doing just okay, and I would sell them to you for X number of dollars, I'd, I would buy them and, and bring them under our umbrella and use our buying power uh, from our broadline distributors and our liquor distributors and things like that and take costs down. So, you know, fortunately in that particular situation, we could be making money within a month, whereas the other person just doesn't have, you know, the other restaurateur just doesn't have that buying power. Right. And you have, I mean, now you've built a whole operations team, right? So you can look at, you can look at a restaurant that's struggling in kind of a comprehensive way, keep the parts that are working and figure out, I would think pretty quickly, what needs to be improved? That's exactly what we did with Jack's, with Doug and Craig and my wife and the people that we had there. We came in and said, "All right, w what are the great things? You know, uh, Mesquite Grill, not changing that. 
we fry with um, peanut oil. Super expensive. Fried chicken tastes great. <laughs> you know, it's like there are certain things that they were doing well, but they were buying from 40 different distributors and writing checks on the spot to pay them. And first of all, you know, you, you switch it to a revolving 30-day pay. You go more to a broadline distributor and you get better deals. Um, you know, we still buy uh, our bread fresh every day. We still buy, uh, you know, the burger from the same place that it's come from for the last 25 years, never frozen, um, you know, still half pound. But on a lot of the other things, you know, flour, cornmeal, mil uh, milk, cream, commodities, we get a much better deal on. And we were able to keep prices where they were, lower our cost and put more money to the bottom line. And that's really what we're kind of talking about with, you know, some of these other concepts that we're looking at is, is doing that exact thing. How, can, can I take their P&L? And put bring it into our system and put more money to the bottom line. If the answer is yes, then we'll talk about it. If it's a no, all right, let's move on. You know, let's move on down the road. All right, and then I have, I I want to take you. I want to take a, a hard left turn with you. Okay. Because we don't we don't neither one of us talks about this very often, but we we actually chat on a on a semi regular basis. And one of the things I always said I wanted to do with this show was take the off-air conversations and turn them into on-air conversations. Okay. You no, are... I've signed, I've signed some NDAs on... No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not going to... No, no. I'm not going to ask you what you're looking at acquiring. I'm going to okay. let that go. Okay. Uh, but you are a huge supporter of Houston Restaurant Weeks. Yes, sir. You are one of the biggest donators to the food bank as a company, probably, of all of the various HRW participants. I have five ideas for changing HRW... I want to run them by you. Okay, I love it. All right, and I, we've, I've probably talked to Cleverly about at least a couple of these. Well, yeah, and and I I think when Cleverly hears this, she's gonna she's gonna I'm gonna get a phone call. But but that's <laughs> that's okay. I can I can deal with Cleverly. Uh, all right, here's here's the first one, and and I will say I got this from I got this first one from another restaurateur. He wants to move the event from the entire month of August. To the last two weeks of July and the first two weeks of August. Uh, indifferent. Be I'm indifferent on it. Okay. It's the you're talking about the argument is that July is super slow, beginning of August is super slow, and that by the time you get to the end of the month, it's kind of back to school. And so, you know, it's it's um for us, Jack's Grill busy all summer long. Union Kitchen struggles a little bit during the summer. Once the kids go back to school, it's fantastic for us. We're really busy. You've got all the parents back in town, and they're doing their thing. Um, I love seeing our sales ramp up tail end of August. Uh, you know, a lot of restaurateurs take their uh, vacations in July. So to me, six and one and half a dozen the other. I mean, all right. As long as it's four weeks, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy all with it. All right. Uh, number two, this is for me. I want to require all participants to serve dinner. I think it's, a, I've seen more and more over the last couple of years, lunch only, lunch and brunch, like none of that nonsense. Yep. People go out to eat for dinner, right? Working people with normal office jobs or, or hourly jobs cannot take up, cannot take an hour or more for lunch to go to a nice restaurant. Yeah. You have to do, if you want to be in the event, you have to, you have to do dinner. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I, I think that what you see is sometimes, I'm not going to say it's a lot, but cleverly, and I've had conversations about this too, some restaurants use it as a marketing tool, right? If, if you're not, and it's, it's, if you're not in HRW, there's a lot of people that look around and go, I'm not going there for lunch or dinner because they're not in HRW. I really want that $35 or $45 dinner for three courses. I really want the $20 lunch. Like they look at that during the month of uh, August and say, I'm going there. It's not that they're boycotting people that aren't, they're just going no, to they the want restaurants. The deal. Yeah, right. they want They're the, making they want an the affirmative decision. They want the deal and they want to support the yep. food bank. And I and I truly I, I believe that where the food bank really makes their money and what you know makes this what it is, what makes restaurant weeks what it is, are the are the cool dinners. The chefs doing stuff that's outside the box and and I'm offering a, a screaming deal. You know? <laughs> All right. Here's here's my next one. I want to cut the number of participants to two hundred restaurants. Okay. Because I feel like it doesn't feel as special as it used to. It used to like, and, and that could just be me in the media, right? But do you still feel like there's the same level of excitement for HRW that there has been in years past? Or do you think it's lost a little, or do you think it's lost a little of that specialness and that cutting the number of participants would kind of restore that? 
you know, I look at it almost like um, like Tillman does his signature group. You know, you've got you've got ten or fifteen restaurants that are up here on this this higher echelon. They're up on the next level, you know, and then he and he treats them as such. And then he's got a whole bunch of restaurants that are in the middle that are his money makers. And then you've got some of the lower end restaurants, you know, on, on the lower tier that you can buy like counter service. The conversations that Cleverly and I have had it, are, I, you know, she has to make more money for the food bank every year, right? She's working really hard to try to make them as much money as she possibly can. It's a wonderful thing that's going on in town. My conversation with her was, why not figure out a way to include counter service restaurants? So people are going there anyway. So get a group of counter service restaurants where you say, all right, you can have a salad entree and a cookie for X number of dollars, 10 or 15 bucks. And then maybe a dollar of it goes to right. the food bank or a buck 50 or, you know, something like that. So I don't necessarily look at it like I'm going to wait till HRW to go to Pappas Brothers Steakhouse, but I certainly will go there <laughs> while right. HRW right. is Right, because a $45 on. dinner at, <laughs> yeah. at Pappas Brothers is a good deal. Yeah. All right. Uh, sorry, I said I, ha- I said I had five, but I really only have four. So here's my last one. Okay. You said Cleverly feels like she has an obligation to raise more money for the food bank every year. Yes. What if there were four charities that received the donation instead of one charity? I, I love it that you just said that. I think Cleverly, I think the money should go to Cleverly, and I think she should make a determination on who gets the money based on maybe votes by the restaurants, maybe based on, um, you know, who's in, who's in need. Maybe they can submit applications to her and make their, you know, make their plea about, you know, this is, this is what our operating expenses are. I I really, right. I I don't see this as disrespectful to the food bank in any way. And I, I really admire the work that they do. I just know that there's a lot of groups in Houston that do a lot of really great work and that $2 million to the food bank does a tremendous amount of good for the food bank. But I also feel like four charities that each got $500,000 might do a lot of good in the arts or in Mm -hmm. conservation or in education or in like, there's just, there's so many charities. You and I are a hundred percent on the same page with that. And, and part of it is I'm a neighborhood concept. You know, we're not on, uh, I 10 in 10,000 square feet and we get all the tourists in Houston. <laughs> we're, we're neighborhood not yet. centric. Yeah, not yet. We're, you know, we're neighborhood centric. We're, we're, we're built on regulars. Um, we want those people coming back over and over and over. And I do think there are a lot of the little guys that are in town that are doing some great things that would really benefit from, you know, from getting, and maybe it's not a half a million, maybe it's, maybe it's a hundred grand. I mean, if you think about what these places can do with a hundred thousand dollars, you know, we're really involved in Casa de Esperanza. You know, they they do great things for kids and boys and girls country and all these different things, and they're in need of food. Now, the food bank helps them out to a certain extent, but it's a different, you know, it's a different way. Right, so, 250 grand to Casa de Esperanza would be, like, life-changing. I, absolutely life-changing. I think it would probably feed them for, you know, every single child and, and volunteer that's in there for the entire year. And, you know, we go over there and cook out for them, and they think it is just... Awesome. We do burgers and dogs on the smoker, and they're just a great group of people. So, yeah. All right. Well, you've been a very good sport to humor me. If you get an angry <laughs> phone call from Cleverly, I apologize. Um, we know she listens to you. She loves you. <laughs> yeah, she's my radio. Uh, she's my radio godmother. Mm-hmm. I, I probably would not be doing the show if I had not spent uh, one Saturday a month for like three years doing her show. That's awesome. Um, all right, and then I always wrap these uh, interviews up with something I call the lightning round. This is actually five questions. Okay. Uh, five easy questions, five short answers. I got, I got burned on it uh, last week, but that that was on me for not tailoring to the to the specifics of the guest. But I feel like these are going to be right up your alley. Okay. All right, Paul Miller. What's the first restaurant you ever worked at? Papas. Which one? Doe Eleven on uh, uh, Loop Twelve in Dallas. All right. Uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Uh, Got to be JJ. Just because he's such a good dude, man. What's the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, Def Leppard. Ooh. Yeah, oh. and they're coming back. They're coming back to town. Uh, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a drive-thru. Um, I was in Nashville last weekend for the Kenny Chesney concert, and at 3 o'clock in the morning, we went to White Castle. 
And I'm telling you, it was it was spectacular. Chocolate shake. I bought 30 cheeseburgers. And <laughs> I didn't eat all 30, <laughs> by the way. But it was just, uh, it was awesome, man. That's my story. And we should say they're very small. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crushing a half a dozen yeah. White Castles is no problem. <laughs> no no right. problem. And finally, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Oh, man. My wife fell in love with Torchies when she was, uh, when she was pregnant, so... I'd probably lean towards Torchies. Tacos A Go Go is really solid. Um, and really, any food truck around right. town with tacos, man. It's like everybody does something different. So I, I like uh, I like variety. Spice of life. All right. Paul Miller, you've been a very good sport. Awesome. Thanks for give having us, me. Give us the website and the social media and all that stuff for people who want to stay in touch. Great Plate. www.greatplatehospitality. Uh, you go there, and it's got... All of our connections to all of our websites. We're getting ready to change the Union Kitchen and JackScrill.coms both. Um, follow us on uh, on Instagram. I'm great plate G R the number eight P L A T E Paul, um, and then you can got you can get links to all of our other uh, all of our other social media from there. All right. Uh, well, Thanks thank for your time, you. man. Yeah, this Loved has it. been fun. Uh, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter at E Sandler on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.